0: this year is brought to you by eshel publications eshel publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the torah shiurim and Sefarim of rabbi aaron lapiansky for sponsorships or more information visit eshelpublications.com almost at the, we're holding here almost at the end of the first chapter um, we're hope i think we're holding by 10 is is that uh, um, i believe it was 10 I don't, I don't think we did 10 last time um, about w- Moshe asked to d- to know Hashem. Did we do that or not? I don't think we did it. Do you know? What, do you have? What do you have written down as last thing we did? Do, would you? Um, you uh, I missed the last couple. But um, and the last thing I had, I know, was that. So I, th- I think that's what we're holding. Okay, ten. So we're holding. It's in Aleph. It's the first chapter. It's number ten so he had just gotten through saying that um, he had just gotten through saying that God has no form, shape whatsoever in any way possible and now he poses a question there is a chapter in Shmos in Pasha Kisisa where after the Jews sinned they asked for... Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to God, asked for forgiveness, and he said, show me your glory. I guess that's complicated God translates as glory, usually. What, what do you want to be seen? That's a very, very powerful point. It, it, yes, Hashem told him, you cannot see. But, but what did he think? What was he thinking? And I, and I, want, I want to explain a point about the, the, the concept of God's not having a body is, is not just... Another issue that we can decide, yes or no. It seems to be the core issue, because or else it's it, it, what's an it, you know, idol and God. It's one and the same. I mean, you know, having a body, not having a body, is, is what it's all about. So, what did Moshe say when he said, "Show me your kavod, your glory"? So the Rambam answers, "Bikesh leda amitas himosa shakodesh you do a He wanted to understand and be aware of the truth of God's existence until he will know it the way you know a person whose face has seen. I'm translating literally and then we'll we'll, we'll try to explain what he means. And his image has become engraved inside me. And that's how that person is separate than all other entities. Let's explain what the Rama means over here. There are different ways of knowing something, recognizing something. So, for instance, if I tell you, um, I want you to find Yaakov in the, in, in the crowd here. And he asks, who's Yaakov? So I will tell you, he's short, he's wearing a striped shirt, and he has glasses. You don't call that recognizing, but those are markers. Um, I, could comp- I could program a computer to do the same thing. C- the computer will, will, will check the shirts, for stripes, the glasses, and the computer will do the same job. Um, are you going to be certain that they found Yaakov? Well, if your checklist works out, I to say probably, but but that's not recognition, rather it's sort of marking somebody off with telltale signs. Let's say you know somebody really well. It, it's it's one of those eerie things you have sometimes when you have um, when you know somebody really well, and he has a twin. Was identical twin that you that you don't know at all, and and you mess them up, and and you meet the twin, and you start talking to him, and you say to yourself, is it or is it not? And they look alike, but it's not him. And 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 when you know somebody well, so we call that recognition versus m- marking off. Um, computers cannot recognize anybody. Computers are very good at fighting marks. So when a computer recognizes a person. What it does is it counts the angle of my nose and the space between the eyes and how many freckles I have and the exact size and shape of each freckle and if it works out well then it 's me but when you have these you know when when, when, you, when you sign into a secure network and what they do is they take a number five and they make it weird and they take a G and they make that what 's happened over there the answer is it no longer fits any boxed explanation of what G is or what number 8 is, but a person recognizes. And I recognize number 8 even if the 8 is twisted into a bagel with sesame seeds. I still recognize the 8. So, so, so there's two types of knowledge. There is digital knowledge, let's call it, where we sort of can, can say X, Y, Z, A, B, C or there's something a human faculty called recognition and 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 that is different it's something that doesn't allow itself to be quantified um, when I ask you um, let's take another example of something if I ask you what happened to the how come you walk into base marriage one day and there are no tables or chairs and I tell you last night three Martians landed in a uh, flying saucer, and they took the chairs and the tables. You would either think I have a, a sort of a very eccentric sense of humor, I've been working too hard lately, or, um, you know, or, 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 or something, because, now, is there anything impossible? I, I, is it that you're saying, you know, is it, if I tell you that, let's say, there was a strong wind last night, and it broke down a window, and the chairs flew out, even if it's improbable, you wouldn't think it's off the wall. There's a certain sense that you have, where, where you recognize things. By Paro, it says that in his in his dream, he, he asked his his uh, magicians to interpret it, and he, and actually says that it's not they couldn't interpret it, but but their interpretations fell flat. He he just didn't feel there's a ring of truth to it. So a human being has a, a way of recognizing things digitally by markers and then we can actually know something in a way where we know it and, and, it's, and, and it's part of our sense of reality. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't asking to see God in the sense of um, seeing him. He didn't think for a minute that you could actually register him on a film. And, and, and not on the retina and nothing like that, there wasn't anything like it. But um, he wanted to have the knowledge of Akadosh Baruch Hu that would give him that same sense of intimate knowledge that something else has. Yes? How, how, come, how come it's not a limitation for Hashem for Ash- not to be able to like make himself physical, so to speak? So I would think that um, It's a. um, It's not Whenever we're defining something, God is not physical, so we can't say, "Is not that limiting Him that He can't be physical?" Um, It's it's almost by definition not like that, as opposed to lacking the ability to do something. Um, So God can work within a physical framework, but He can't be physical because He is not physical. So he asked. So, so Moshe Rabbeinu asked that. So he wanted. So now, when I know somebody, if, if, let's use the Rambam's metaphor, because we'll see it how important it is in the pasuk. If I know somebody by seeing him, and I got to know him, so, so that's 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 knowledge we'll, that we'll call recognition. If I know somebody because of markers that we point out, let's say I see somebody from the back. When you see someone from the backside, not from the front side, you can make certain markers and say to yourself, hmm, is this amount tall, this wide, walks with a certain stoop? But recognition is mostly in the face. So Moses said, paruchu, I want to see you, meaning God should be to me as real as a table. It I should have that same perception of reality God should cease to be an idea that That is reinforced And should become reality Ideas are ideas, realities are realities And and those are two very separate entities And a Baruch Hu answered him A human being being that he consists of a body besides his soul, cannot have that recognition. Let's talk about this and let's, and, and let's understand because this point is a second point that's very, very significant. Why is it that we can't have that sense of God the way that, the way that, um, the, the, the way that we could have it of something else? Let's take one example. A child inquires about the adult world and he asks you things, he's a bright kid, and he asks you about all sorts of things, relationship at the workplace, family relationships, husband wife relationship, things that he really has no sense of. He's not mature enough himself to have that sense. So I can't make him understand the things like an adult understands it. But, I can give him examples. Like I can say, just like when you and your friend sometimes you both want the toy, so you fight over it and you're upset with him. Same thing It's in the office, when this is happening, that's happening. So the child can have some good ideas about it, but he can't recognize it, understand it in a, in a gut way because he doesn't, that's not him. If our mind, one of the reasons we're so uncomfortable with abstract math, is because we're talking about nothing. Our our self is a body and a mind. So things for us to be real need to be real. So when someone tells me a square, a square is an idea and it's a thing there are things in the world that are square. So 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 I'm comfortable with it, and somebody asks me, do you know what a square is? So one answer is that, that each side is equal, but another answer is the squares that I know and I'm familiar with, that square over there is a square, and, and therefore I'm comfortable with it. But if somebody tells me some mathematical construct that doesn't have any corresponding thing in the world, you know, I, I can I can spit back the information and the definition and how to use it and, and what it's useful for. But, but it bothers me. I, I I need to I need to feel it. And that's why we we need examples to flesh out abstract ideas because we don't we're not comfortable understanding things that are abstract. So we everything for us we're a mind and a body. Everything for us to be real needs to have it needs to make sense, and it also needs to be fleshed out physically. I need to see an example. I need to imagine an example. I need to have some, some, something to latch onto, where my eyes and ears can can can, can, can match up with it. Um, that is that is uh, important. Now, the the, um, the, that, um, the the second thing is that the second thing is. Since weaknesses are both, as long as we're going to be a body and a mind together, we're not going to be able to. We're not going to be able to uh, understand God in a way of recognizing somebody. Um, you know the the. You, you're, it's much easier for you to recognize someone that's in your society. You know, there's, there's, if you look at it, Chinese people, they all look the same to me, even though they're not the same. But they're not my world, so I don't have an easy recognition. It's when I get to know somebody. So a person, as long as he's a body and a soul, will not be able to recognize God, understand God, treat God as a reality in the way that we treat other things as real. And it's not a contradiction to our faith if somebody says, well, if you really believe in God, why is it? There's a story with the Chavetz Chaim, a very simple story, but it, bring, it brings this point home sharply. Um, the Chavetz Chaim was once um, in a... In a um, somebody was taking Chavetz Chaim in a wagon from one place to another place, and he goes by an apple orchard. So, the guy driving the wagon says to Rabbi Chaim, listen, I'm going to pluck some apples. If you see the owner sort of coming out or peeking or, or seeing, ye- yell, yell, at, you know, and I'll run because I don't want to get caught. I don't want to. So, okay. So the guy goes to pick the apples. As soon as I was picking the apples, Rabbi Chaim is up. The owner's watching. The owner's watching. The guy ran back and was and, we, and then he looks around and says, nobody around. He says, why'd you, why'd you pull that one on me? He said, well, God is the ultimate owner and he's watching. Now, it wasn't as if the guy driving the wagon wasn't believing, you know, it he, he was, was a simple Jew. He was kind of, but there's a big difference between somebody who has two real eyes with a nose and a mouth and maybe rough hands and a stick and God, God's an idea. And we can't treat it as reality as long as we're body and soul. So God told him back, no. Um Veshiva Baruch baruchu answered him, a living person who by definition consists of a body and a soul integrated, that he's in he, he's he consists of a body and a soul together, mythis dovas alberyov to really understand this in full clarity okay now um the 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 um so so god says to him um stain, st- what does god answer to him you know is there perfect we've got no, the middle one the middle middle okay perfect uh, right tool right time right place Because Moshe was in a very high madriga, and he felt that he had become so refined, so purified, that he could. He was in God's presence, and so on. And God told him, it makes no difference how refined. At the end of the day, there's still a bit of human to you, and it's not gonna work. Yes. If that's the case, then why are we, if, if it's a case that's understandable that someone might be more aff- more concerned about the physical person and Hashem because a physical person they can see and why are you seen as a on a lesser level I mean it doesn't seem to be, you should be on an equal level if you're not you know, like, you know the whole question about if someone steals during the day versus stealing at night it's sure that they're not afraid of Hashem um, these, are all, these are things at least we need the Torah's laws Impose that on us the, the laws are there to direct us in that direction. That, that's what they're from. for Let me read to you the phrase. So he says he, sh- he said show me your splendors. He says I will he said, Tom you can't Then God told him there's a place with me I stand by the rack as I go by I um, I will I will put you in a cave. I will put my hand on the cave until I pass over, I will then take my hand off, and you will see my backside, but not my face. So the Ramam says, What is that metaphor? He says, God told him something that no one, God gave him as much understanding as ever more than ever was given or will be given. <laughs> Until he grasped God, he said. So God said, "The the most I can give to you is an analogy of recognizing somebody from his back. So if I've seen somebody enough times from his back, I, I know the little motions." I know how tall exactly, I know how stooped, I know many things and God said I will give the ultimate amount of knowledge, in what we call digital knowledge, but you'll never get that type of recognition. So God gave him information, God let him in on things, God let him understand a lot, but he told him this is going to be a line that will be drawn and it's not going to be possible you will see my back but not my, my face so the Rambam says that there was a, a dividing line between knowing God in, in, in a mode that's called recognition versus knowing God in a way that is knowledge about God, of God and so on, that's the, those are the two points let's, let's I mean, it's a um, and that's why when we talk, that's why we always need work, when we talk about working on our faith and belief in God, we're not talking about rehashing arguments pro and con. We're talking about taking something that naturally slips from our awareness and reinforcing our awareness of it. That's the point of it. In other words, our test vis-a-vis God is not academic even when a person is past the academic issues, the person still has um, the, the 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 cognizance issues, the issues of, of a real awareness of God, because it's unnatural for a person to live with things that are abstract. Um, you know, when I was growing up, cigarette smoking was considered to be a very positive activity. Then, cigarette smoking, there were many studies. That, were, that it's very very bad for you and it was denied primarily by the tobacco companies and then people began to realize that tobacco is actually bad for you but people didn't stop smoking and it took a lot a lot of very very vivid commercials to to, to, um, to stop people a lot of gruesome cancer pictures now what's the issue? Did people not know, really? Did people not understand when they're shown facts and figures? The answer is, when you're shown facts and figures, the linkage between smoking and cancer, those are facts and figures. They they, they don't affect your stomach. When you see a gruesome picture of somebody desperately trying to suck a little more oxygen, that's that's a very, very powerful... that, That affects you. So, and that's why the, the world that's why Torah needs mitzvahs because when things are abstract ideas that are abstract have a minimal effect on you when ideas are vivid so when, when it, the difference between sitting and you know it's very funny, when we, we think of the Seder night we think that talking about Egypt and the, and, and the exile and the redemption, the hardships is what it's about, and eating the matzah is like a symbolic gesture the truth is, as, as far as awareness goes, eating a piece of dry matzah is, 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 is more impactful than the discussions. It certainly is ideal when you have both, when you understand what you're doing and then you do something. Because a taste of something, a feel of something, a, 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 an experience of something, affects you at a level that all ideas and thoughts and so on and so forth don't begin to affect you. And that's why mitzvahs are so important because no matter how much you buy into the message, it's a message. It's, it's somewhere up there. Um, th- this is something that's very, very real. Um, the, 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 I, I want to add one more fascinating point. God said the most you can see is the backside. When we wear tefillin, there's a knot that sits on this backside the knot rests on that place where the mind flows into the spine. In other words, it's where ideas become reality. And that's what Moshe was trying to get from us. I want to share another explanation of this Flemish. It's, it's a very fascinating parasha, um, And there's a, there's a classic explanation that, that is as correct as what the ramam says. Even though we're talking about a very different direction of, of, of thought, but it's it's important to share it. The Samsofa says we can't see God in the in, the, in projecting ahead or in or or in, or at the present. We can always see him in retrospect. It, it's it's very very important. Let, let's give an example. Um, we can analyze if a person has a piece of cake and a person is a sophisticated connoisseur uh, kind of he can taste it and tell me what went into it um, that that's can be done reasonably well but to take ingredients and I tell you one cup of this a dash of that, two tablespoons of this and that what is it going to taste like that's very very hard assuming you never tasted it that's, that, that's extraordinary. I, I knew a chef who, who was gifted beyond words. He had never cooked two meals the same. I, I mean, I'm not talking just a little more salt soul, less salt. Soul. He, he was amazing. Um, he told me he can think of, of a recipe and then think how it's going to taste. He also was a highly, highly... Um, Erratic person, you know, he, this genius in, in in the culinary world went hand in hand with a very a unique personality. Let's call it. He he could, you know, he could blow out it, say, but, but he had that gift, and he said he he can think of an idea and then project what it, what it, what it's going to taste like. That's very very we have many many midrashic materials and talmudic materials about if you do this wrong you're going to be punished this way do this this that the other thing the terrorists and so on those are all true but but it is minimally difficult to almost impossible to look at a situation that's happening and say why is it happening what went into it Where, where did it come from it's too complex the most we can do is, once something has happened and we look back in retrospect, we can say, this is where God's providence was leading. But, but, but in, you know, we're, we're, in hindsight, we have some inkling. In foresight, and even current events, we have no inkling. So, so it's important to understand, we are, it, is, it is appropriate if one is capable of looking at God's handiwork In retrospect and trying to understand where have we gone but it is near well impossible to say where are we and certainly not where are we going so God told him you will see me when I pass by after I've passed by you'll see me the by the trail I leave rather than as I'm coming or when I'm about to come it's a, it's a different explanation it has nothing to do with Rambam but it's a classic explanation it's insignificant so, so we do well when we learn Chomish and the Chomish guides us and tells us this is what happened this is why it happened and so forth we don't do all that well when we're trying to sit and figure out what, what's going on and, or what will be um, like someone says to be safe keep your predictions to the past you know it's a, I, always, I always enjoy I used to buy The the Economist has at the end of the year a a journal uh, an edition they put out with predictions for the next year and they have some of the really really the best people in their fields um, writing and I used to love reading it the analysis is fabulous the thinking is crisp and clear and and tight reasoning it's wonderful but after a few years of it I think they're like $12 each one after a few years of reading it they're they're probably as good as the best of the crystal balls that gypsies use you know it's like you'd say to yourself oh my gosh sometimes they get it many times get it wrong because they can't possibly know what's going to happen so there's no way to to know all the things that come in and even then you know you realize afterwards the reasoning was great but uh, he, he didn't take this into account you know whenever they come They're amazed. they say, this guy Rubinov predicted the collapse of the market. Yeah, there there were a thousand economists saying, and then they picked the one guy who happened to get it right. I don't know if he's going to get it right the next time. I don't know if he's a genius, but, you know, everyone had different... uh, I I was thinking there's... I used to get, you know, you you, you get these mail advertisements. Before they had spam, they had mailbox spam. And they used to get these things. um, In some point in in the not far future the gold market will collapse, the this market will collapse, that will collapse, and then you'll get a, a letter from us, watch it, and you'll see I'm right. Well, yes, with that type of open-ended prediction, they're definitely right. It will collapse at some point, if, if, for, for any one of a thousand reasons. But to understand, so, so we, we, we understand gingerly, God in hindsight, certainly not in foresight or what's going on. Okay, the last two points in the You're Yudalov. Once we've explained that God is not a physical body or entity, it follows If you don't have a nose, you can't sneeze. If you don't have a mouth, you can't smile. So, so activities that are physical certainly can happen. God can't be attached or disattached. No place, you can't confine God to a place or to a measurement reader. neither uh, up or down. Lo a small, right or left doesn't make sense. Lo um, front to back. Lo yeshiva sitting, standing doesn't make sense. So, so, um, so the Rambam says no, none of the physical attributes, not only doesn't God have a nose or a mouth or a hand, but you can't describe his activities in any way that requires something physical. Now he says one more thing that is very strong and then makes a point about it in the to perplexed. God is not within the context of time so that we could say length of time. We can't measure God in three dimensions because it's not physical. We can't measure God in a fourth dimension. Let's talk about this because this is a topic that the, my, the Rambam brings up in his Guide to Perplex. There, was some, there, there were many people who felt that time is infinite. It, it's something that we can't say was created. It doesn't make sense that it was created. And therefore God comes after time. Now, let me explain what that means when we say God is time. So he says this is wrong and, and the way the Rambam knows it's wrong is because God's name, Yud, Hei, Vav, and Hey mean was, is, and will be. In other words, the, the idea of being timeless is, is very part of the definition. God is above any constraints, any parameters that are greater where God has to fit into. So if God is, will be, and was, it means he basically is unlimited. I, I want to make it, I want to explain it in a way that is... Um, in, in a way that is more meaningful than what does what it means God is timeless What is time? So, I, you know we, we, I, I can't think abstract but let's take something Let's say I have a, a snapshot picture of my parents 50 years ago when I was a young boy I still have that snapshot So now, the snapshot, too, faded a bit because the snapshot faded. But let's look at the people inside inside the, inside the that picture. I can't say that they're 50 years older because there has not been any change. It's been laying around for 50 years, but I can't say that the people in the picture are affected by time. The photograph itself, the material is affected by time. They, they, don't, they certainly don't look older on the picture, and, and, and that's that. So whenever I have something time is the measure of change time is a measure that refers to change three dimensions refer to something that's static time refers to change in a universe that no change whatsoever could or would happen you don't have the concept of time if a hundred years ago I looked exactly the same and 100 years from now I will look exactly the same then, then what's transpired. So I can say I've run a million laps in a hundred years. Great. But let's say I'm not going anyplace. It, it, time measures change. It measures how long it takes for a spring to unwind, for how long it takes for an atom to buzz a little bit, it, for, for how long it takes the sun to go around. But in a, in a frozen, frozen world, there is no concept of time. God does not change ever. So therefore, saying past present or future means nothing vis-a-vis God. God is not any wiser now. He's not less sharp now. He was never younger. In other words, time imposes, imparts no quality to God because he's beyond that. So to say something about what God thought once upon a time, God having second thoughts about something would be wrong. God can't change. That's what we mean God is timeless. That's the primary meaning. So he says God is not within time and therefore there were some Jewish philosophers who felt that time needed to have been always there. You can't say time was created. Maimonides in Moron is very sharply against it. He says He says it's wrong, it's terribly wrong, he finds what he feels is an opinion in the Talmud that says like that, and he says it's a minority opinion, it's rejected, What that, that? that God is is a, a um, it, it, that God is, is, the time is as infinite as God is. Um, he uses a verse to justify it, it says Kale Olam, the eternal God. God is something that, when we say eternal, it doesn't mean he's been around for a long time, it means he's not subject, so just like just like the color red is not subject to length and width and height, this doesn't apply, length, width and height doesn't apply to God, time does not apply to God either. So he says, and then he says, The concept of death or life doesn't exist, neither stupidity no wisdom, no sleep, no up, and the Rambam is deliberately taking verses in the, it, that mention these attributes and saying we cannot take them literally in any sense of the word. V'lo simcha, v'lo atzvos Neither happiness nor sadness shtika, v'lo Speech and quiet way people speak doesn't exist This is what Rabbi said Up in heavens there's no sitting, no standing There's no back, there's no front There's no tiredness None of this exists. So, let's see the final point. Yud Beis and being that that's true, so why does the Torah say all these things? I mean, if you, if you were to read the Torah with an unaided um, guide, with, with not being guided, you would think all these things. Why? They are all metaphors. Like says the one who sits in heavens laughs. They've gotten, they've gotten me angry with with their with their stupidities in other words the Torah says if you want to know if this so just if I would tell you Lady Justice is mightily upset with you for this it's a metaphor when I say God is happy with you did it means what you did is right and just like if you do something good to you, you you're positive about it when you do something that's good in God's eyes that's called God is positive they are all metaphors we spoke last time, we explained why we would use metaphors, and the reason would be in order, to, um, in order to impress on people. It's much more powerful when I say God is really upset with you, the way you treat your brother, than to say what you're doing is morally incorrect. It, there's a certain, that's how the Ramu learns. And he says, Yes? I don't understand that what do that in God's eyes it's bad versus morally bad? It, 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 it's a more powerful metaphor than... Well, people like to speak of Mother Nature. People like to speak about nature doing this and that even though they don't mean that. I, I once read a, a, a scientific... Um, a, a, a write-up in a science magazine that they're very upset with the language used like, the plant does this in order to make sure that it survives. The plant's not making sure, but it helps us when we personify something. It, it, the reason why a poet says, I walked in the forest and the trees were whispering secrets to each other quietly. The metaphor is a, is a very powerful tool for impressing you with something. So the Torah speaks, so, so he, he, the Rambam invokes a concept that the Talmud says, the language of the Torah is not the absolute correct description it is the language that talks to us Um, and let's give an example this is a very very important point So, so when the torah uses language like god's fury will be spent on you the language is the, is the is just like when I use poetry I'm not using the words that describe the situation best objectively, but I'm using the words that evoke in you the, the, the emotions that the event should have evoked so, 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 so when I describe somebody dead, I don't say, well his, his blood pressure dropped to 40-30 the pupil response was negligent and and, and the reflexes were, were, were not there. That description of death is great for a medical chart. It does nothing for telling you. When I say a life filled with action and goodness stopped and people were bereft of a father and a brother, that's a lot, that's a lot more meaningful statement about, uh, about death. So, the Torah uses human language. The language we're using is to describe it in terms of mere for us, rather than to God. Um, I want to talk about this point, because this point actually has a variation to it. What the Ramam says is correct. And everyone holds by that as being a correct... Look at it. So, when we see anything describing God... We are we are um, talking. Then then we are saying the, the elementary meaning of it is it's a metaphor. And that's fine, but how that works? There are two approaches to it. There's the Rambam and the philosophers versus the Kabbalists, and I and and it's a, it's it's a, it's an important um, it's it's an important parting of ways in understanding the Torah. The, the says it's simply a, a, a metaphor to help you understand. If it's a metaphor, then basically y- you don't need to describe every detail and explain why it's there. When I write a description about somebody who's old and craggy and this and that, I don't have to explain every single line why I use that description. I'm describing an old man who's barely alive. So I'm going to tell you his hands shake and his eyes keep peering out and, and, you know, and this and that. I'm painting a picture and I can't stop at every little element and the Rambam says not every word in the prophets when they're using a metaphor has to have meaning to it. I'm painting a picture and, and the picture has meaning but each line doesn't need to have meaning. That's the Rambam and, there are, and, and with the Rambam's way of looking at it, that's how it is. There's a reverse way of it and, and let's under, understand that. Um, God interacts with us, that's an elementary um, function of God. God chose to create a world where he would interact with every being in the world. When God created this physical world, he molded it so that it resembles what's up there. For instance, when I take an x-ray of myself every line in the x-ray must correspond to my body because that's what it is the x-ray is a picture of my inside it's not a painting where somebody meant to convey what he thinks is happening inside me It's, it's a line by line description of it so whatever it is that we have here is basically a representation so for instance the human body comes in pairs it's a symmetry of right and left so it's 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 it, it, so it's not it's it's that is a physical representation of some reality god works in a certain pairs and there's right and left and our body having right and left is representative representation of it. if we have lungs that bring air into our body and stomach that brings food in and so on all of that must be present in some abstract form in God's interaction with us. It, it's just like this, there cannot be anything in the x-ray except the occasional thumb of the guy who made a mistake and put his thumb there and and came out on an x-ray. There's nothing there that's not inside me. So, whereas the Rambam says the prophet is using elements in the world to paint a painting of God, which is true in the big picture, the Kabbalah said, our world is a physical model of the truths up there. And every single, the fact that we have fingernails is meaningful. The fingernails are not part of the body, they are part of the body. They're transparent, but they're, more, they're thicker than skin is. Every, every element in the body must be a representation of something deeper than that. And that's why it gives, an in, in, every, in every time we describe God in this way, every line is meaningful, and everything about it is significant. Just like an x-ray, there's nothing empty. In a painting, say, he just wanted to help make the impression of this guy's forceful character, so he made everything else smaller, or whatever it is. You can't say that an x-ray. An x-ray is a representation of something, and you may not know what it is, but it certainly represents something. So the Kabbalist... It's not that they felt the Rambam was wrong, they felt it falls far short of a demonstration of how, just a wording of how that comes across. The Rambam would say God's activity with in this world, his interaction is called the hand of God, because just like when we stretch out our hand we do something outside of us so too when god is acting inside the world we call it the hand of god the Kabbalah say being that god interacts with that which is quote-unquote outside of him i.e the world and that is called yad hashem the hand of god when we were created in 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 live flesh it became this thing over here so it 's not that we start with our hand and use it to illustrate truths about God but the truths about God when they found full embodiment in this world this is what they look like so many times it makes no difference how you look at it sometimes there will be radical differences um, where you for instance it, God is portrayed as something as having white hair it 's hard to find a metaphor for that but if if you're using it as something to to to, to, um, to create a metaphor, we're having a hard time, not so easy to figure out. But if it if it has to be that way, th- then, then then we need to figure out things that, that are represented by that and so on. Okay, let's just finish up. He brings one more proof that it that it can't be literal, but it must be um, metaphors to help us get the sense of it. Are they getting me upset? Are they getting me upset? In other words, are they causing me to lose my temper? So he says, that can't be true. God says about himself, I, God, have never changed. Sometimes God would be in a good mood. If God was slightly bipolar, sometimes been be in a good mood, sometimes it a bad mood. Then it's different. And and let, let's give an example of of how it's not different, how it is different. If I'm a teacher and I'm the perfect teacher, I'm you know I'm the master teacher. When I walk into a classroom, sometimes I yell at them, sometimes I ignore them, sometimes I encourage them. Did I change? No. I mean, my my inner mood is perfect equilibrium and I'm a master craftsman and I'm just sitting down and I ask myself which tool will be most effective this morning in class let's say I'm not a perfect teacher which nobody is and you walk into classroom, some days they get you upset and you are upset and some days they, they, they make you feel good, so you feel good so, so, so it's it's honest, honestly true that you are actually um, changing. So today I'm in a good mood. Tomorrow I'm in a bad mood. But the perfect teacher is always in the same mood. He's in a teaching mode, and and he's using tools. So God doesn't get angry or become happy. God displays wrath or displays um, a welcoming happiness. Change is only in something that's physical. God who Baruch God is above all that. So basically, um, we, we, we need to treat them as metaphors because all of these activities can only happen, A, in physical entities, B, if they were actually to happen in God, you'd be talking about real changes in God that can't be. So, so, all of these are metaphors, they're reflections. It's like when you go to a good psychologist. Um, so, the good psychologist is not having a conversation with you and he's telling you, oh, that's terrible, I, I never heard anything so bad, or I think you're swell. He's meant to sort of help you hear what you said. So if I'm hearing correctly, you seem to imply that this, this was something that was wrong, a terrible wrong. He's helping you reflect and understand what you've experienced. And that's what our Kadesh was doing by giving us feedback. Okay, we'll hold it here. Is okay. it? that there are, are Rebeams who reject the idea of Kabbalah? Um it, it was, it was supposed to stop, save